Hello, everyone. Welcome to Not Your Father's Movies. I'm Jesse. I'm Dan. Uh, oh, shit. And I'm, I'm like... <laughs> There's a gap there. And we're coming at you with some veto-less energy, because we are without veto today, which is why we just had a mix-up right there. We and also, also with some some sword energy, shit, I don't know, some, some SPQR energy. How about, the, I don't know. SPQR energy. I'm not good at this, Jesse. This is your job. <laughs> some sword and sandals energy. Sword and sandals. I like that. Oh, there yeah, we go. Because today we're talking about uh, 2000's epic Gladiator. This was, I, I remember this being like a huge deal when, when this came out so many years ago. And we are, of course, doing our Chronological Crow series. We started out with Noah. Here we are in 180 AD with, uh, with Gladiator and, and the Roman Empire. Being the Roman Empire and still having a Senate and kind of being in conflict with itself. So here we are with our Chronological Crow, ready to dive into this crazy mess you guys excited so excited oh I'm, yeah i'm so stoked <laughs> i mean this is this is russell crowe's biggest movie arguably i think it's his most acclaimed yeah um, both by the academy awards and by myself so yeah it's it's a big one <laughs> Like that. The two the two governing bodies, the Academy Awards and me. <laughs> I mean also, what else matters, right? Yeah, what else like, matters? Russell Crowe didn't really matter until this came around, right? Like as far as his career, like I think he was in LA Confidential beforehand, so like people knew about him, but this he skyrocketed into into stardom after this into ATM. Yeah, I mean he was a big actor in Australia. He was in dozens of movies in the nineties. But he he really rose to like stardom in Hollywood, I think through this movie for sure. This was the big one that was like everybody went and saw this, everybody loved it. It was definitely a, a huge, huge cultural phenomenon when this movie came out. Yeah, for sure. This this changed the changed the world. That's for sure. Yeah, I think the only other big movie in in the U.S. that he was in was um, was L.A. Confidential. So I guess Australians all knew about him, and it's just us in the U.S. We uh, we finally discovered him with Gladiator. Not discovered, but like realized what this guy could do. Yeah. And this movie won, like, it was a phenomenon. It won so many awards, Best Picture, and like we were saying, uh, Russell Crowe won Best Actor, won Best Costume, which is funny because we're looking at the costumes today, and like, they're pretty good, but like, are they really Roman? Is that how Romans actually dress? I don't know. Yeah, my wife pointed out that the costumes are very 90s. And I, at first I was like, what does she mean by that? But she said that there's so many layers to their costumes. It's like they have like six different layers, all different colors. And then they have their fur and like everything is very elaborate. Yeah, and I guess she, I guess she connects that with, yeah, late 90s, early, early 2000s as, as a costume, you know, design choice. As someone who never has cared about fashion, I have nothing to say other than to say I thought his fur coat at the beginning was really cool, and then I realized <laughs> those are actual animal skins right there. It just gave it just lent a like a uh, a certain like visceral badassness to him. Yeah, it also won best sound design and best VFX. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know about sound design. You know, I sure why not. The other things that came out this year were also the Patriot, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. 
Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? And you five seven one. This is a big year. This is a big year for for us guys. This is a big year for me, at least. I mean, uh, oh yeah. Like I, I, I do remember like the Patriot and uh, and Gladiator like trading blows as both being the goriest and like the most awesome movies that you could see uh, for years after this. And I mean, U five seven one. I remember that one. Oh gosh, amazing. Yeah, between U571, this, and You're the Patriot, or sorry, uh, The Patriot. I'm sorry, I'm reading it off. <laughs> <laughs> You're uh, the Patriot. <laughs> <laughs> um, between those three movies, I felt like those were the movies me and my friends constantly went up to each other and were like, have you seen this? To like gauge whether or not we were like becoming like men. Yeah. 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 I remember like waiting for years to be like, wait, so can we see this yet? Like, can we see it yet? And like, I remember some friends like, oh, we saw the Patriot, but they hadn't seen Gladiator. It was like, yeah. Are you a Gladiator family or a Patriot family? We were a Gladiator family sort of by accident, but. Oh yeah. We were a Gladiator family too. Same. I saw Gladiator and Braveheart. Braveheart was the other huge one that like, oh yeah. I feel like just defined my teenage years. But yeah, those these movies, historical drama, like action. action yeah, action yeah. flicks are really what made me feel like, wow, now I'm an adult. I can watch movies with like people getting their heads cut off and, you know, a lot of violence. <laughs> like a grown up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is what grown ups do. We just watch people's heads just fly off the screen. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, huge deal. Uh, number three, 38. Uh, rated movie on uh, IMDb. Um, and also, let's talk a little bit about the cast and crew here. So we talked a little bit about um, what's his name? Russell Crowe. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Russell Crowe. <laughs> Apparently, he was not first in line. Mel Gibson was. But Mel Gibson was kind of old. Like, he was already in his 40s at the time. Like, he, he looks fine in The Patriot, but maybe not for this. I think this required a younger man. So they, they gave it to Crowe. And he turned it down at first. Uh, because he thought he was not physically fit enough and couldn't get in shape. Oh, um, yeah, because he was like forty pounds over what he should have been. So what he did to get in shape, though, was he went back to Australia onto his farm and just farmed for the summer. Like oh, he wow. did, he didn't do like a crazy three hundred workout. He just went and farmed, <laughs> <laughs> and that got him in shape. Yeah, I feel like that's so fitting for his character as Maximus, as like the general that just wants to go back to his farm. Yeah, and <laughs> apparently the the description that he gives um, Marcus Aurelius of his farm, he's really describing his Australian farm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So on on top of Russell Crowe, we've got Ridley Scott here. Have we have we not mentioned Ridley Scott? Has he not come up in our movies before? I mean, we've talked about The Last Duel, that's for sure. Did we talk about him? Wait. I guess we mentioned Alien before when we did our yeah. Aliens podcast. But when we did Aliens. Aliens, not <laughs> Alien. But yeah, he's he's done so many things, um, including a lot of swords and sandals stuff. Like he did Gods and Kings, Exodus, right? Yeah. And he did Robin Hood, which is going to be coming up eventually. Yeah. Didn't he do the Kingdom of Heaven or something? Yes. Is that Ridley Scott? I think so. He's really into like old, like like sword battling action epics, I, 
I feel like. Although I've never seen most of those movies. So what do I know? Yeah. Well, he does like heavy American or like heavy, not American, but just like drama, historical dramas, like all the time. Like they're serious, they're real, they're like, they're meaty, right? Uh, from from the movies of his that I that I have seen, I love how there's this combination of uh, like a real plot heavy story going on, and at the same time trying to it feels like he's trying to immerse you a little bit into into the time period. Uh, I heard him say that he would like it. He would like his movies to be kind of feel like a documentary, like it's just it's just about this period, and he's trying to be as true to it as as he can be to to with, with some liberties. Like in this movie, I think the uh, the size of the Coliseum is a liberty. Like he, it's when he saw the real one, he's like, "Oh, this is too small. I want it to be bigger." <laughs> <laughs> it's so big, yeah. This is huge, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think he's got a great style, and uh, apparently, he's coming out with another historical epic, Napoleon, with Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, this I'm so excited about this. I had no idea until I was looking at his IMDb page today. That he's doing this but it it sounds like the plot sounds amazing and yeah Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby are phenomenal actor and actress um I'm very excited for this movie I've gotten invested into Napoleon because I started reading up or listening to a biography of the guy this dude is nuts I, I can't believe like the amount of stuff this guy has was able to do over the course of his not incredibly long lifetime right um and also, I think he's absolutely crazy. So I'd love to see a, Wa- a Joaquin Phoenix portrayal of this man. Oh yeah. Do you know? Do you know what it's going to be about? I, I was. I I think it's going to be about this dude who lived a little while ago called Napoleon. Oh, really? Uh, that was his first name, and his last name was Bonaparte. He became an emperor, uh, and and then he died at some point between then and now. I think that's it. Riveting, riveting stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's, that's what I wanted from this movie. I love it. He's I've got no that, idea what it's about. Sorry. <laughs> he's the one that made the ice cream. Or is that Neapolitan? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I did read the plot, like the one sentence plot on IMDb. And it, it said that it was going to focus around the relationship between Napoleon and his wife. And there was some sort of conflict, I believe, between them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's I guess what's going to be kind of the main focus of the movie. I'm not sure at what point. I'm guessing it's after all of the conquering that he did, but I I, I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah, there I know from the the little bit of the biography that I've read or listened to, uh, their their marriage is nuts. Like she was cheating on him, cra- like crazy at first, mm. and that was a, it was a real insult for a French general to. Like it hurt his reputation a lot to have mm. his wife be cheating on him because it's okay if he goes out and cheats on her. Right. That that was socially Obviously. fine. Obviously, yeah. that's socially fine. But for her to do it to him, that just makes makes him a cuckold. So like, mm. you know, uh, he was a laughing stock. But then eventually, like they settle where he just goes out and does it, and she doesn't anymore. At first, he was madly in love with her, and then she is kind of madly in love with him. And it seems like they switch. So this it's a really fascinating dynamic that they have. Uh, oh. They've really messed up, and I'm not sure how much I'll enjoy a movie focused on that, but I'll definitely watch it. Yeah. Malcolm and Marie, Napoleon edition. 
<laughs> yes. All right. Mike, who else do we have in this movie? Do you know who else we have? Um, did you, wait, did you write this? I, I wrote it. Oh, Dan, who else do we have? <laughs> yeah, I, <wrote> it. <laughs> um, I wanted to shout out I the, the writers. There's three writers to this movie. Uh, David Franzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson. Um, I was looking at their uh, their credits, and they've been on, or they've written, like, huge movies. Um, I couldn't even begin to, to list them, but they're just, all three of them have been on huge projects before and after this movie. So to have all three of them, you know, combined forces on a movie like this, um, I definitely think it it made me understand why the writing is so spot on, like the pacing, the, the screenplay, what they're saying is so profound in every single scene, um, almost to a ridiculous amount. Like every single ending to a scene is like super profound. Mm. My wife kind of started like laughing at it at the end. She's like, yep, you know, it's going to be the end of the scene because they're going to say something really cool. And like, that's how they're going to like, yeah. it's, it like punctuates the end of every scene. Um, which I love. Like I don't. I don't care if it's yeah. unrealistic. It's it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I I was telling you guys this like before the pod started, but apparently, well, one of the reasons why uh, Russell Crowe didn't want to accept the role at first is because the script was a mess. Every character was different. It was going to be about a guy named Narcissus, who historically had been the one to uh, really kill and assassinate Commodus the the emperor yeah okay he was a wrestler and he killed him in the bathtub apparently oh wow uh, that's really different from from this very different um <laughs> yeah no bathtubs <laughs> yeah no 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 bathtubs surprisingly <laughs> but uh, apparently the script was uh was a mess and they were changing it every single day after shooting every single day they'd all get together and they'd all kind of like write something different about how it should go so they had a script and they were trying to make it work as they went. In fact, Ridley Scott joined the project without having read the script at all. Um, he was pitched this movie by, there was a painting that he was shown of the stadium and the emperor pointing his thumb down, uh, communicating that the gladiator should kill the other person. And he's like, I'm in. He just saw That's that amazing. one. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. This one painting just made Ridley Scott want to join and direct this project. Oh but. my gosh. I, I almost wonder, okay, I used to have a background picture on my, my work laptop and it was of that, what you just described, like yeah. a gladiator standing over a fallen opponent and he's looking up at the emperor and the emperor's holding his thumb out. I almost wonder if it's the same picture. It, it might be, be crazy because it, it wasn't made for the movie or anything. It was just like one of these ancient or not ancient Rome. It was like a painting of ancient Rome and that, and that idea. That really just sparked Ridley Scott's imagination. So everybody joined, and they didn't know what this movie would really be. They were going off of something more big. I think that's it. Sorry, this one here? Dan just pulled it up, and like I, it's called the Polyche Verso. If anyone's interested, it's in the Phoenix Art Museum. I'll really? That's what it says. Credit Phoenix Art Art Museum. But it's this. Yeah, it's a gladiator standing over this guy. He's like stepping on his neck, and he's looking up at the crowd. And the crowd's like throwing their thumbs up and thumbs down. And they, I'm just looking at this painting, like they definitely have costumes that look like that. And this, and the stadium setup is very similar. Mike, oh, are yeah. you looking at Yeah, I'm looking at, I'm looking at it here. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen this before. Uh, yeah, definitely gonna 
cut most of this out and link this picture <laughs> down below. <laughs> so people can see what we're talking about. But yeah. Um, we might want to verify that this is the picture he, he was. I don't care. I'm going to link <laughs> this picture anyway. This is the picture we're looking at. So, Well, it's a cool picture either way. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good background. Either way, Ridley Scott looked at something like this and said, I'm going to make a movie. Um, but yeah, yeah it was just, just a mess every day, constantly changing, which is also probably why they, they decided to make every scene so epic. Because if, like, if you're just focused in the moment and like, how do we make this scene as good as we can right now um, with what's going to happen the next day? Like, of course, you're going to come up with the best that you can at the time, even if it's not really realistic. Yeah, you, you can trade epicness for reality any time of the day and I'll be happy. Oh, yeah. All right. So who else we got in here? John Mathiason, music video cinematographer turned film cinematographer uh, with film credits in Phantom of the Opera, Logan, King Arthur, and Legend of the Sword. Joaquin Phoenix as Commodus. I, I think this is Joaquin Phoenix's first big budget movie role. Um, yeah, I think that's you know, true. Like you're a Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix fan. What have you been in before? Do you know? Um, This is the first movie I saw him in. Did The Village come out before or after this? Oh, definitely after. Okay. Yeah, this was the first. I think this. I know for sure this was the first big budget movie. I don't know if he yeah. had been in a lot of stuff prior, but yeah, yeah. This this solidified my image of Joaquin Phoenix. Far more incestuous than I would want my first impression <laughs> of anyone to be. I mean, he'd been in a lot of stuff before this. He'd been in like Murder She Wrote and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, uh, all sorts of stuff. The new Leave It to Beaver TV series, but. I think this was the first big thing. I mean, it comes out yeah. even before uh, before Signs a couple years later. His first credit is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers TV series. Oh, boy. Which I did not know existed. <laughs> I'll have to check it out. And he's only yeah. in the Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's definitely fair to say that this is the big, or this is his big breakthrough. Like, this is what puts him on the board. This is what everybody notices him for. This is the first movie I ever saw him in, and I... Joaquin Phoenix is one of those actors. If I see he's in a movie, I will watch the movie yeah. just for him. And it, rarely am I disappointed for that. Um, he's, yeah. he's phenomenal. I definitely wasn't disappointed by this. He's, he's very compelling, if very strange. And like I said, far too incestuous for me. Like, I don't know why anybody would do that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, he really pulls off this weird character. I love, you know, this guy who is, he's mad that his father doesn't love him. He's jealous of Maximus for getting his father's love. And he's, and he's kind of, uh, in some ways, kind of whiny, kind of bratty, but kind of elevated. Like, he's not just that. He's not just like a, a whiny aristocrat. Like, he's, I think he's got something more that he's trying to achieve with Rome. He's like, it's like a corruption of Marcus Aurelius's, uh, Aurelius's ideas to some degree. And like the incestuousness and the murderousness that he has, and he pulls it all off to make him like a believable, kind of realistic, if overly dramatic character. So I, I yeah. really like this performance. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's his biggest strength is that he's able to pull off being really whiny, and right, he has the the his his dad issues where his dad wasn't there for him, and he like holds that against him, and he's he's kind of a coward. He even mentions that at one point, like, 
I'm, I'm courageous, even if not on the battlefield, but at the same time, he's dangerous. Like he kills his father, that scene where he's like, he's essentially looking for his father's approval. His father apologizes. And you think that they're, you know, everything's resolved between them. And then he just suffocates his father. It makes you realize like this, it's not just a wimpy spoiled brat, right? He's not just a spoiled brat that is a coward. He's willing to do whatever it takes. He is ambitious. Like he says, like, that's one of my virtues. I'm ambitious. You know, he, I, I love that scene where he lists all of his quote unquote virtues. It, it's, it's great. But he, I think he plays the, the, the balance between being like scummy, cowardly and slimy, but also really dangerous and really evil, really cruel. He just plays that balance really well. And oddly high-minded, like this, I love the goal of like trying to make the people of Rome, his children, run to him as a father. Like his whole goal is to have everybody in Rome love him. Uh, like you realize that's a very selfish goal, but also like I, that doesn't seem bad on the outset. Well, it's kind of like Michael Scott uh, when he says he wants to have a hundred children so he can have a hundred friends. <laughs> like, well, there's something that isn't wrong about that. <laughs> but it's mostly wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I, I feel like Marcus, like, it, you're right, Jesse, like, it's a corruption of, of the dream of Marcus Aurelius. There was a dream that was Rome, right? Like, Marcus Aurelius wants to teach Rome to stand up and, like, walk on its own without an emperor. Um, and that's finally, like, his his last desire is to uh, to give it to Maximus so Maximus can can pass it on to the people. But then we've got this corruption um, of the son that he did not raise well, who thinks like what I needed from my father was, you know, just to, to give me like bread and circuses. Um, and so I'm going to give that to all of the people of Rome as well, which is to just like make them more like dependent and, and whatnot. Uh, never, yeah. never be able to escape from the clutches of the politicians. But I also like when he first pitches the idea, like earlier in the movie when Marcus Aurelius had been talking about it, uh, talking about like passing over control from the emperor to the Senate, he said it, it's the idea of Rome and the idea of Rome is a whisper. If you say it too loud, it will vanish and disappear. And then uh, Commodus says something very similar when he's pitching the idea of, of the games, right? He's like, the Rome is an idea. He's pitching the same, the same thing that it's like, it's not tangible. Uh, Rome is not that, it's not really concrete. Um, so you can kind of manipulate it as you see fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the idea of him, of both of them taking the opposite approach to to this idea of what Rome should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about that more when we get into questions, because I, oh, yeah. I do have a lot to say about that. Because um, right now we're talking about Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> just pull and, uh, it off the, honestly guys like this is the coolest role here like like i mean the most interesting role like he's the weirdest guy right like like uh uh russell crowe does a great job as maximus but i mean maximus is easy you know comparatively right like don't you feel well, for commodus and like yeah. how how difficult is that like you kind of feel for him you're like oh yeah it's it sucks to like not feel i don't know and then like he becomes crazy you're like that's not that's not okay. yeah just just adding on like this is a great great role oh yeah mm-hmm. yeah it is yeah it is funny that Russell Crowe's 
I think we're going to talk about this more later, yeah, but Russell yeah. Crowe is the one that won Best Actor for this. Um, yeah. When it really does seem like, a, in some ways, a straightforward action hero role. Yeah. He's, he doesn't have a whole lot of dimensions. Uh, I mean, personally. he cries over his wife. Like, he's tough and he's sensitive about his wife. That seems to be the two dimensions that he's got. Right. And he and he has the rage and the vengeance and all that. I, I, yeah. Okay, but, well, yeah. That, there's more dimensions, but it's pretty... It's all pretty, right, you know what? I take it back. He does have more stuff going on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'd, yeah. I'd never take this... I I wouldn't take the Oscar away from Russell Crowe, but I'm just saying, like, like what a what a great job that, um, that Joaquin Phoenix did here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Um, I wasn't trying to talk back about that. I, I've been thinking a lot, like, did Russell Crowe deserve an Oscar for this? But like mm-hmm. I said, we will talk about that more later. All right. Next, we have uh, Connie Nielsen as, uh, what's, what's her name? Lucilla Lucia. or Lu- Lucia? Lucia? Um, Lucilla. 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 It's like uh, straight up Lucilla. Lucilla. Right? It's, yeah. Commodus's sister who's hitting on the entire movie. Oh man, their scenes are really creepy together. They're really uncomfortable, but she does a good job in them. <laughs> I, I kind of like her character, like going through the Senate and like having her wits about her at all times to the point where you're not sure if you can trust her. But it turns out like she really is just focusing on, on trying to save her kid, basically. Like she is, I think, she's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like she is a totally relatable character where it's like she's in this impossible situation. <laughs> She, yeah, she just wants to protect her her son mm-hmm. and keep him from the the corruption and just the physical violence or the physical danger that he's in being the heir to the throne. I think it's I think she's a very compelling character and and that's a it's a difficult role to pull off, like to play the sister of this emperor who's being hit on all the time. That's extremely you know difficult, and then to play like this ex lover of of a uh, Maximus and. And also a mother of the, you know, the son. It's like, that's, I don't know. I, I was yeah. very impressed and very, every time she was on the screen, it was like, I know she's going to be great. And like, yeah, I really liked her. Yeah. Anything to add to that, Mike? No, dude. She's great. So next up, we have Jaimon Hansu, uh, who is the, what, Juba? Is that his, they never even really say his name, maybe like one time. Yeah. But he's the guy who befriends Russell Crowe from the get-go. And... Surprisingly, a black guy that does not die, who's right. like friends to the main protagonist. Like when I watch this movie again, it's like, oh yeah, he's gonna die because he's black. No, it doesn't happen. I thought that was kind of cool that he lives at the end. Back the final scene is him. Um, I mean, that's what that's like. What happens in Spartacus, right? Is the the African American or not African American? Just be the African man that <laughs> that is killed or that that befriends the main protagonist ends up being killed because he's like, he's a friend that's willing to die for his friend. Yeah. And it kind of lends more, I guess you could say weight or more impact to his mission, you know? So I, I agree. I, I actually thought he was going to, going to die as well, you know, in a sad, like dramatic way. And, and no, he's just, he's I mean, just a great standard. fighter and he's yeah. a great friend and he's got great lines and he I, makes it to the end. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, great line. That's uh, line. It is. It is. Yeah. He's also. What'd you guys say? In Blood Diamond. In. Yeah, he's in Blood Diamond. He's in the Kingsman. Um. Oh yeah, the he's new in Kingsman. A Quiet Place Part Two. Oh. Do you remember him being in a Quiet Place Part Two? What? 
Oh, um, is he, he dice? <laughs> or is he is he on the island? Maybe. Yeah, oh, he's he, on the island. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I forgot yeah. about that. His he, his he, role. His name is Man on Island. That's that's great. <laughs> um, he's yeah. on. He's in. So I don't know why, but I've been thinking about this movie a lot lately. He's in The Island with Ian McGregor and Scarlett Johansson. Do you guys remember oh, that? That is yeah. a good movie. movie. That's that a, is actually a good movie. Yeah. I, I was about to say what the movie was, and then I remembered it's a twist, so I'm not going to say that. But yeah, I remember I, that movie. I've seen that movie like six or seven times for some weird reason, and I don't remember it at all. I, I saw it like seven years ago and loved it, so that's what I'm basing my opinion on. It's very possible. Okay. It's not as good as I remember it, because yeah. Yeah. my opinions do change semi-frequently. <laughs> yeah, I remember Don't tell my it. wife. <laughs> that's a cool yeah he's in a lot of big stuff though uh like guardians of the galaxy amistad he's a big big actor yeah we also got uh oliver reed as proximo who died right before the final shots they decided to not wild. reshoot his character because it cost too much money and instead they inserted the scene where proximo is stabbed and and dies uh, they kind of splice that together with the body double. It's the only time that Ridley Scott has done something because it costs too much money. <laughs> I, I don't think it was Scott. I think it was uh, the studio or, or the producer or whatever. I know. Because so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scott would have been like, all right, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I also like get to, spending money. Yeah. yeah. I also like to think they did it like to honor the actor as well. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, uh, it's the scene where he's, stabbed to death but also the scene before that where he goes to maximus while he's behind the bars and he like gives him the keys to escape i watched That's the whole CGI? video it's it's it is cgi but not it's not like what they're using now in like disney and stuff it's okay. more like they took scenes that he was already in and they like basically pasted his mm. face into the scene and it's it's flawless yeah. in my mind like i didn't even know this was the case it's really really well done yeah, yeah. It, it to me it's it's amazing that they pulled this off yeah i had no idea until i like read read up on this that, that they had done this and to do it in 2000 like people are still trying to do this unsuccessfully with um deep fakes and all that so or with um uh, what's leia from the last star wars movie man i'm blanking on both of those names oh uh, carrie fisher carrie fisher in the rise of skywalker yeah 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 so they did the same thing where they had like previous footage of her and spliced it together that was atrocious man they should have looked back to gladiator to get some gems yeah seriously but yeah he died I, so he died of a heart attack in a bar after downing three bottles of captain morgan's jamaica rum eight bottles of german beer numerous doubles of famous grass whiskey and hennessy cognac and beating five much younger Royal Navy sailors at arm wrestling. His bar bill for that final lunch time totaled 270 Maltese Lira, almost five, almost $600. Whoa. <laughs> I, apparently he was like a really happy drinker, and Ridley Scott had made him promise that he would not drink during the week, and he's like, that's fine, as long as I get to drink on the weekends. So he died on a Sunday. Dang. That wow. makes me sad, dude. Yeah. That's tragic. Yeah. That's, uh... But I mean, you know, I feel like that's, he would have been happy with that way of going out. 
to a degree. He beat six younger men at arm wrestling. Five younger men. That yeah. is a way. That's yeah. a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I did see that um, originally they were going to have his, like the end of his character, have a whole nother scene to it where um, he's captured by Commodus or by the Praetorian Guard. And they actually force him to fight Maximus in the Colosseum, like a fight to the death. And that Maximus ends up having to kill him to, you know, to survive and to, you know, go on with his mission almost in like a Spartacus type way where it's like you put friends against friends as a final, final, you know, scene of, uh, I don't know, of drama of, you know, building to the final actual enemy versus friend. You put friend against friend. And it's uh, I I thought that was a really almost uh, another to add to the tragedy of the actor passing is uh you know this this could have been a great a really really great scene as well yeah i I think that might have elevated this movie to insane greatness (laughs) like if because that would have made commodus an even better villain than he ended up being um and also would have made like an incredibly emotional emotionally tough decision with with maximus that i kind of would have liked to see so Oliver Reed passed away, but man, his proximal performance is great. Yeah. And then uh, last last on our list that we wanted to shout out is Hans Zimmer. Uh, you know, he he wrote the soundtrack for this movie, and I've got to say, watching this again, I did not like the soundtrack. <laughs> I don't oh, really? It, you didn't like the soundtrack? No, I think it's I was too thinking loud. I love it. Actively doesn't fit some scenes at times. Like, there's that scene when the Emperor's when Commodus is Emperor and he's coming home, it's like triumphant epic music. It's like, this is weird. People are like knowing he's a murderer and think he's a tyrant and are booing him. And there's this weird, like epic chorus going on. I didn't like that. <laughs> it just, it didn't fit. And then also like the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack was kind of woven in there. I know this came before Pirates of the Caribbean. I, but like, I heard the exact theme in the opening <laughs> battle. I was like, holy shit, this is Pirates of the Caribbean. It comes directly from this movie. Yeah. Lifted from yeah. Gladiator. But, yeah. You know, it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> There's a lot of people in, in Pirates of the Caribbean that come from this movie, too. But I also heard some parts of Lion King in here. Um, mm-hmm. It's I heard parts yeah. of Dune in here. I was like, oh, oh, really? there's there's the early like uh the early bits of Dune going on. Some of like the sort of things. Oh like, yeah. Before, yeah. Right? Yeah, like at the end. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and kind of throughout, whenever things were sort of weird and like religious. It's so interesting to me how like a composer like Hans Zimmer can he almost plays off of himself. Obviously, like clearly with Pirates of the Caribbean, he he took yeah. like sections of his previous music and just put it into Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> and I almost feel like like the soundtrack to Pirates of the Caribbean is just incredible and yeah. so, so fun that it, I feel like that almost that almost ruined some of the some of my experience of this movie. Yeah, um, just because I remember loving like the opening sequence is phenomenal. But I remember loving the music to it, listening to it on my, you know, my iPod. And I just remember this soundtrack being just one of my favorite soundtracks to listen to in high school. And I don't think I could now because yeah, I can only hear, like you guys were saying, like Pirates of the Caribbean or 
his other works that came after this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I feel like Hans Zimmer, he outdoes himself every time, but it almost leaves like a little bit of bitterness in his previous work where you're like, oh, but that was like an unfinished Pirates of the Caribbean song. Yeah. <laughs> and also like, yeah. it's weird to associate like a fun action adventure Jack Sparrow movie with Gladiator, which is like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's supposed to be far more like, like less fun. Hardcore. Like, yeah. 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 Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Like that music, like to, to use the same thing for both, like a hardcore, uh, like fight to the death series of fights and, and to have that theme pasted over with the same thing that Jack Sparrow is doing his crazy antics with. It just, it strikes a weird chord with me. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. What, what do you think about hearing it, Mike? Oh yeah. I mean, same. It was weird. It took me right out of the movie. I was like, this pirates! <laughs> like, <"What's> <laughs> yeah. he stole it from, oh, from, from himself. Well, yeah. huh. I don't know how I feel about this, but, um, but wait, there's two, there's two people that we haven't talked about that I just want to mention here. And the first is, uh, Derek Jacobi shows up here and I forgot he was in this. Derek Jacobi is, um, I mean, I don't think that you're allowed to make a movie set in Rome without Derek Jacobi, uh, because he has played like every Senator and he has played Claudius from I Claudius, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but the Emperor Claudius makes an appearance in this movie and like a story and like you can't make a movie about ancient Rome without Derek Jacobi and uh, he's here and it was great to see him again. Um, I watched a lot of stuff with him in it as a kid uh, because mm-hmm. he does a lot of like these old historical movies. He was in like the CAD file murder mysteries, which uh, we watched all the time as kids. I don't really know why. But that was like ancient British murder mysteries, and he's a monk who's like a a detective. Mm. Mm. A, a monk who's a detective? Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool stuff. That, that is pretty um, wild. It's like the War of the Roses is going on. I haven't thought about this in years. Um, <laughs> and like he's trying to like not die and also figure out like who killed people when everyone's getting killed by people. I, I don't know. It's Wow. I've got a lot of love for Derek Jacobi myself. Um, I mean, he's the king in Cinderella, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's he's done a million things. And the live action Cinderella, right? Yes, the live okay. action Cinderella. Yeah, I'm not seeing the, a lot not of... Not the James Corden Cinderella. <laughs> I'm seeing a lot of uh, BBC stuff, but then also a lot of Shakespeare stuff. Yeah. Um, I almost wonder if he started it like in the theater if he was a theater actor he kind of strikes me as someone that could have like started his uh career in theater yeah i think so and, and i think he did a lot of those like um i mean he's in a lot of like the um kenneth bana movies i think um i think he's in like honey the fifth and stuff but he's also in i feel like a lot of those original like swords and and sandals sorts of epics uh back mm-hmm way back when. So I wanted to mention him. Um, yeah. I also want to mention Richard Harris, who plays, yes. um, who plays Marcus Aurelius. Uh, Richard Harris has showed yeah. up on this before. Um, and uh, he was in Unforgiven. He's also the original um, 
Albus Dumbledore from the mm-hmm. series when he, but he tragically passed away before he was able to do any more of them. Um, it's a great actor. I love it when he yeah. shows up in something. And I love, yeah. uh, love Marcus Aurelius. Does a good job. Oh, oh, we know. Uh, we know you love Marcus Aurelius and Richard Harris. So <laughs> this must have been just a real treat for you. <laughs> I think it all just stems from seeing this movie. You know, it's just like, oh, well, this guy is the best and he plays the best dude. So here we go. Is this where your love for Marcus Aurelius came from? Is this movie? I mean, I like I don't I, I don't know if I'd say I have like a soup. I don't know. Yeah, sort of. I mean, well, you, it's it's what got me interested in this sort of period of Roman history. Not that I'm any sort of expert on it, but am I am I wrong in saying that you've talked about Marcus Aurelius on the podcast completely <laughs> unrelated to this movie many many times it's because it's because we didn't unforgiven that one time you know and so and so I talked about how he played Marcus Aurelius in in Gladiator and like Marcus Aurelius is really interesting he's got this whole thing like the meditations which are all about like how to on top of being an emperor who conquered the known world like or, or kept the known world conquered he also is like the the textbook on stoicism which is mm-hmm. interesting i mean how many people do you know who are emperors and also uh like have affected the world f- with their thought as well i mean that's i think that's what i loved about his uh his character and then also his relationship with maximus that maximus is kind of that like classic stoic uh like perfect man or like the noble man where he, you know, he believes in Rome, his allegiance is to Rome, but then also his ultimate joy in life or his kind of like his, what he's working towards is just to be a farmer and to raise his family and have his farm. And uh, like that, those kinds of ideas of like the luxurious life is to just be a farmer in a you know very humble lifestyle is very stoic right that that's like the roman classical idea of a perfect man is this like a man who has conquered himself and then conquered the world enough to just raise his crops and have his family and Mm -hmm. i i love that about maximus's character and and marcus aurelius is kind of like that the idealist who wasn't able to live the ideal but was always kind of like Mm -hmm. pining towards it and I, I thought that was a really cool feature in this movie, especially in the earlier scenes, like after the after the battle and in the in the tent and all that. Um, some of those conversations I had a huge appreciation for this time around that I did not have in high school because I just wanted the battle sequences. So I I, I love that aspect of it for sure. Um, I guess I could get yeah. into my my nostalgia for this movie. I oh, um, yeah. I think I saw this when I was like thirteen or 14. Um, I didn't see it when it first came out. It was one of those movies that all my friends were saying, like, have you seen Gladiator? Mm-hmm. And it was killing me that I hadn't seen it, but I eventually did see it. I think when I was a teenager at some point earlier on and, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was the best movie that's ever been made. I thought it was everything that cinema should ever be. And like, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't get enough of this. Like, I, you know, this was back, we still had VHSs of things back then. And I just remember 
like me and my brothers, we would we rewind this and rewatch the action sequences all the time. Like we would watch that opening battle sequence. I, I've, I've probably seen that opening battle sequence like twice as much as the actual movie. Um, <laughs> you knew like like the timestamps for for everything. Right. Like, oh, this is when like the dude gets his head cut off. This is when he, like <laughs> like the sword gets stuck in the tree. Oh, here comes a volley of fire arrows. Oh, yeah. we, we would <laughs> we would do like we would do this like shorter movie edit where we would just fast forward <laughs> through all the dialogue and just watch the fighting and like. <laughs> Yeah, it's like about 45 minutes of the movie. That's how I know yeah. that. But it's like, we, yeah, we loved we loved the fighting in this movie. We thought it was the best thing that's ever been made. And in a lot of ways, it, it holds up. Like the, the fighting in this is very brutal. It's very believable. It, it, uh, it doesn't feel like it's overly edited or overly cut. Um, like a lot, a lot of movies from this time period can feel yeah. that way. You watch it again and you're like, yeah, they cut three times to, you know, to make it look real. But, you know, it's not real in this movie. It's it's it all flows. It's all very uh, well choreographed. The fighting is is phenomenal. But also, yeah, the dialogue in it. Obviously, that's always something that you appreciate more as you get older. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure when I'm like 80, I'll probably fast forward all the all through all the fighting scenes and just watch the dialogue. But yeah, so that's that's my first impressions of this is just it was in in Mike's words it was seminal to my to my teenage years, <laughs> good. Um, and I, good, good. I loved it. Yeah, what about you guys? Yeah, man, this was seminal, dude. Like this movie is. I think I was also thirteen or fourteen when I saw it, and I have like I remember exact. So I had these friends. I've talked about them before. We did a lot together um, growing up, but. At some point, they were kind of like watching, like, I, I don't know what it was. They were like looking after this person's house. They weren't living there, but like they'd go over, you know, every every day for like several hours at a time. Um, and it was like a cool pool that we would go in. It was, it was a nice mm -hmm. house. I'm not really sure what was going on. So we'd go over there and we'd just sort of did hang out. We'd, did the owners know what was going on? I think so. I mean, <laughs> this was this was the mom who was like in charge of this whole deal, and she would just like bring us there. I okay. I think that they knew what was going on. Um, <laughs> <That's a good laughs> <story>. <laughs> the pool was amazing. It was like they had a pool table, but like a table in the pool. And oh, yeah. and I remember like like my friends trying to explain this to me, and I just could not understand what was going on until I finally went there and I saw like, oh, it's like a swim up bar. Um. I have a hard time with visualizing, I guess. Uh, and like, oh no, there was like a, a a window in the pool and like there was a bar below it. This was a really nice pool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one day we were just like, we weren't allowed to go swimming for some reason because it was raining maybe. And we were just like hanging out inside and their mom was like, oh, just put on a movie. And so we were sort of looking around like, oh, what movies do they have? Like, oh, here's, you know, like whatever. I'm like, oh, here's Gladiator. Oh, we've heard about Gladiator before. Like, hey, mom, can, uh, can we watch uh, Gladiator? She's like, sure, whatever, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we watched Gladiator the first time. We turned it on. <laughs> oh, it was amazing. Blew our minds. We weren't able to finish it. Um, Sort of, so it sort of 
we got like halfway through and she came in and sees like the head getting chopped off of like the pig man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, what are you watching? Like, we need to go. And so we sort of started talking about it on the way home. She's like, well, I guess we're going to talk to your dad about this to, to my friends. Um, and he was like, all right, I guess they're old enough to watch this movie. So we had a movie night like that night to, to nice. watch the whole thing. Um, job, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, this movie, I, I mean, like the fight scenes were f- things that I'd never seen before. Um, and just blew my mind, but also like the combination of, of battle with like, these like these this hefty battle sort of stuff with this dialogue that I never really encountered before. Uh, man, it was just uh, mind boggling, and I feel like this movie is what I've been looking for in every movie I've seen ever since, uh, to a degree, more or less. Like that's really, I mean, it's really strange that you stumbled upon that in uh, in somebody's house randomly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but besides that, I think my nostalgia is kind of similar to yours. I remember in, in, it was a big deal in my family though beforehand. So like I think this movie was eight when I when it came out in. Uh, or sorry, I was eight when this movie came out, and uh, yeah, a little too young to see it then. But my parents both went and saw it in theaters together, and they just they loved it. It was one of the, you know, it was one of the few movies that they really liked and would like recommend to everybody. They loved the family aspect and the and the idea of a guy who's like. Who's like? It's an entertaining movie, and it's a guy who's killing, but he doesn't want to. Uh, who's like not doing it like for, for the sake of just killing everybody? So it, it became like a, a big deal in my house uh, to watch it. But I was too young, so around thirteen, fourteen, I, I finally was able to watch the whole thing. Like I'd seen bits and pieces over the years, so I saw it, and uh, yeah, I was, I was blown away. You know, it was really bloody at the time. That was the bloodiest thing I had seen, and. Also, like the just this plot, this story of this guy who's lost his entire family, and he oh, was at yeah. the top. He was at, he was about to become emperor, and he falls. I think the tagline for the movie is right: uh, a general who becomes a slave becomes, becomes a, slave. a gladiator. A slave um, became a gladiator. A gladiator <laughs> who defied an emperor. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I just get that, some chills down my spine, Mike. Like <laughs> that, but that idea that. That really basic idea is really, really compelling. E- even now, like I- I've seen some movies of, uh, you know, like John Wick or um, the the other spy movie, um, Bob Odenkirk. What Nobody. Nobody. Nobody, right? Yeah, spy same basic movie. idea. Yeah, he was a spy. Uh, he was a spy. He was something. <laughs> I don't know about, about that, but whatever, whatever. Keep going. He, he was a guy. He was a guy who did things. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, like those movies, there's a lot of those, or there's a lot like Harry Potter and Harry Potter, you're a chosen one. You come out from nothing and you become great. Or there's the John Wick sort of movies where you were something. And then now at the beginning of the movie, you're, you're like nothing again. And slowly you're realizing, Oh, this guy's a real badass. And, uh, and there's a real change or like, uh, impetus that's, uh, in them that has been overcome that, you know, now they can go kick some ass. Uh, but in this movie, right. I, what I find so compelling is like, like it's really just circumstances random that are changing. And then he's constantly like rising to the occasion and kicking ass, doing the best you could do for, for being a slave and a gladiator. Like what else do you do? I guess, I guess you just go over and conquer whoever is in front of you. 
you know, that's what you were as a general. Now do it as a, as a gladiator. And uh, I love that idea. I love, uh, yeah, I like that. It's not like his slow rise. It's like, he's always been there. It's like, and then circumstances ran and fallen. He's just making his circumstances catch up with where he is. I find that super compelling. It, it's kind of similar to the Hamlet tale too, um, with, with the revenge story that I think everybody can, can relate to to some degree. So that story of revenge, that story of taking back what was yours, super compelling. I love that. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North. Feel, yeah, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Ah, so Sorry good. to a murdered husband. Husband. Damn it. Let's cut that all out. <laughs> cut that all out. Damn it, damn it, damn it, damn it. See, that, that's why he was uh, he was best actor. because he Yeah, not me. He can say all those lines. Yeah. He can say also, those lines. What if they had stuck no the Oscar name? for you, Mike. Yeah. No Oscar for me today. <laughs> what if why, What if they had stuck with the name Narcissus? Like, I am Narcissus! No wonder why Russell Crowe made them change that name. It's so much better this way. <laughs> Narcissus. Hey, everyone. Jumping in real quick to tell you about something I'm personally very excited for. It's SIRS Furniture. S-I-R-R-S Furniture. Now, if you've been listening to our podcast for a long time, then you know about Sir. He was. We did the, the crossover with the uh, Before Sunset trilogy. He's been on a couple of our episodes. I've been on a couple of his. Um, he's a dear friend. And he happens to make, besides a fantastic podcast, beautiful custom made wood cutting boards of, of whatever flavor of wood you want in whatever kind of design you want. It's, it's beautiful custom work. And with summertime coming up, I know that I'm going to be out barbecuing. I'm going to be out going to birthday parties. I'm going to be going to a couple of weddings and it's sometimes hard to pick, you know, what to give somebody, uh, what to give a friend of mine. Sir's furniture is your one-stop shop for cutting boards, charcuterie boards, coasters, Anything that you can really think of that is handmade, handcrafted, and designed woodcraft. You've been using a small plastic board for years. You know you have. Or, you know, take a look in your kitchen at those dried out twigs that you call cutting boards. And go to sirsfurniture.com, S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F-M. And check out the wide selection of beautiful handcrafted wooden cutting boards that are on display there. Now, listen, let me tell you a little bit ago when Mike welcomed in his third child to the world, um, Jesse and I banded together and we we pitched in on, on one of the big Bertha, I think it's called the Martha of the, the cutting boards. It was big, had a nice channel around the side, and we put Mike's last name right in the middle. And this board was gorgeous. I was upset that I didn't have Mike's last name so that I couldn't just keep it for myself. It was the single most beautiful cutting board I've ever seen. So that whether you love to cook, barbecue, or just need that perfect gift, Sir has what you need. So for 10% off, use our link, Sir's Furniture. That's S-I-R-R-S furniture.com slash N-Y-F- M. That'll tell him that we sent you. All right. So that's all of our nostalgia and first impressions. Yeah. I think it runs pretty deep and all with all of us. But now, like passing yeah. it on to our kids and when uh, and will we show it to them? 
Mike, are you gonna? Oh yeah, are you gonna show this here? Absolutely, to your kids? man! I can't wait to show. I actually showed it to my son already. He woke up while I was watching this, and he he dug it, and then he like passed out. He was like, I think it was he woke up during the uh, the slave breakout scene, and he was sort of like sitting on my lap. And he would like look at the screen, and then he'd look back at me with sort of a bit of a worried <laughs> look on his face, like. These guys gonna be okay? Like I don't know if they're gonna get out of here alive. And then when uh, when Cicero gets uh, starts like hanging or whatever, uh, he just sort of like turned to me and collapsed on my chest. Like this is this is a lot of emotions and fell asleep. Um, so. <laughs> Wait, how old's your son? He's nine months. Eight, nine months? Yeah. Okay. Nine, nine, so, so I'm interpreting here. Um, he won't remember any of it. So yeah, <laughs> he won't remember any of it. But he'll remember the feelings, or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm definitely going to show this to my kids when they get older. I'm not going to show it to them uh, now. But I mean, I definitely think like 13 or 14. This is this is this is a great movie. It's a little gory, yeah, but I think I think it's okay. I think you can handle it. I was able to handle it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I think the way, so I grew up with a lot of the, like what they call like the sword and sandals movies, um, like Ben-Hur, Spartacus, yeah. 10 commandments. Like I grew up with a lot of these movies that I watched very young. Like there's not a whole lot of violence in, in those movies. There will be scenes that maybe my parents would skip when I was like really young, but I just grew up with those movies always being around. And I think like maybe this is me just projecting on on my experience, but I feel like those movies prepped me for watching Gladiator in a mm. lot of ways where I, I appreciated Gladiator a lot more because of what it did, like what it updated, what it brought that was new and, you know, 21st century man, like, it's it's the fight sequences are seamless and the the blood looks more real and the you know everything about it feels more fresh and up to date but it's really like a lot of the storylines a lot of the story beats are are from like Ben Hur right where Ben Hur plays this essentially like a an, a high high class lord who ends up losing his family and being mm -hmm. becoming a slave and having to fight back you know, coming back from the dead and, you know, back from slavery to, to reclaim what he's lost. Um, and then Spartacus, of course, like a similar story of a, a slave kind of rising from, from ash to, to stardom use, you know, as a gladiator and, and, and creating this, you know, gladiator revolt. Um, I think a lot, in a lot of ways, those movies as a, as a younger kid, prepped me to watch the gladiator and appreciate it and love it all the more. And so I think I'll probably do the same for my kids is I want to show them these, these types of movies at a young age and then build up to gladiator as kind of, and, I, and I'm, I'm stepping on a future question that I want to ask you guys, but I, I think this is like the greatest sword and sandals movies of, or sword and sandals movie of all time. So that's, that's kind of what I'm, what I want to build up for my kids is like, this is it. This is mm -hmm. the best type of this genre. Sure. And, um, and, and so definitely like 13, 14 is going to be the oldest. I let them get before they've seen gladiator. 
Yeah. What about you, Jesse? Even with all the violence and stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously like if I have a kid that's, that's more sensitive to violence, I, I will take that case by case, but my son doesn't seem to be disturbed too much by the cartoon violence that he sees in movies currently. Okay. And um, yeah, like unless, unless he is a, you know, shows some sort of like real sensitivity to that stuff. I know that at 13, I was like, you know, I couldn't wait to see this kind of stuff. And I, even if it scared me, I like wouldn't let it show. Like I wouldn't, you know, so I, I definitely think, yeah, 13, 14, I'll be sitting down with my kids, popcorn and all, and, and showing them gladiator. Just watching some heads getting chopped off and rolling. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think my favorite scene, and this is like, I think this, I, I had to say this as my perfect scene because, or my favorite scene, because like teenage me always looked for this scene. And this is the scene that stuck with me. Like every time I think of this movie, this is the scene mm-hmm. I remember. It's the scene where Maximus is fighting in the Coliseum against this enemy that's supposed to just wipe him off the face of the earth. It's this you know massive, massive guy that he's like supposed to be the, the great warrior of the Coliseum. And Commodus has set up the fight, you know, s- specifically to kill uh, Maximus. And there's tigers that come out during the fight. This was everything that I wanted to see as a 13 year old boy watching a gladiator movie. I wanted to see animals coming into the arena, <laughs> attacking guys and biting. And yeah, it, th- that scene to me is like, just the epitome of a gladiator, you know, gladiator fight like that. Yeah. That's everything I wanted to see. And I, I don't think like now as an adult, I don't know that it's the best scene in the movie. I actually don't think it is, but it's, it's kind of like, because I, 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 yeah, I just, because of what I just said, it's, it's, it's perfectly a, you know, a scene made for this movie for my generation. And um, it's the one that sticks with me well after and and I've, I've watched videos about like how they made the scene with these tigers and how they made it look like the tigers were right next to russell crowe even though they were never that close to him it's it's a feat of vfx as well in, in that aspect it's it just i was a little worried about this scene watching it recently because i was like i hope the, the tigers don't look cheesy and i hope this scene doesn't like fall flat and it doesn't like it. It really yeah, they look real. Yeah, it, it they are real. real. Yeah, I mean the tigers are real, but I was worried that the like, danger feels real too. Right, like, it, uh, it, feel, it feels like real danger. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. And, that, and that's what I was worried is that like the danger wouldn't feel real because it it would look a little like oh I can see that that's like you know they 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 pasted Russell Crowe onto the scene with the, the tiger and but it didn't look at all like that. It looked totally real, and I I loved it. It's a, uh, it's a great scene, and I, I, it's the scene that I will continue to think of when I think of this movie. Even though there are probably better scenes out there. Yeah, the way like he he takes the back of the axe and drives it into the guy's foot, and the blood oh, like yeah. gushes out. I I will never forget that. Like that is that was an image that just seared itself into my memory forever. Mm-hmm. 
just like that final, like that was what was needed. He had to do that. That was the the moment of advantage that he gained on this guy, and and he finally won. It was yeah, and also um, yeah, I love the adversary too. Like he's like this gladiator that has come out of retirement. He comes in riding on a chariot, and then he has that really freaky mask. Like it's this giant yeah. helmet that you've seen before, and then he has like the visor that comes down. It's a mask that covers his face. Got like a tear. Yeah, makes it unfor, like unforgettable. And then, of course, like there's what happens right afterwards where he knocks the guy down and then Commodus gives him the thumbs down to kill him. And he, he just doesn't, doesn't kill him. <laughs> it's so awesome. And the crowd that was cheering to, for him to to, do, to kill him is suddenly saying, like, Maximus and Merciful! Yeah, Maximus! And they all start cheering his name again. It's, it's an incredible scene. Yeah. I I did like that part of it a little bit more like, oh, wow, like the people of Rome, you know, they're not just out for bloodshed. They actually love the fact that he spared this guy after completely destroying him. He could have just cut his head off and everybody would have cheered. Right. But he did like the the unexpected thing. He defied the emperor and chose mercy. And the fact that the people of Rome cheered even louder for that is a cool like plot device to show that the people of Rome, you know, aren't just these bloodthirsty, super shallow people, right? They, they actually yeah. do love a real virtue of mercy when they see it. Or at least they love the drama and the emotional roller coaster. Like, yeah, they love, like they they, love they, a good they, twist. Yeah, they love a good twist. <laughs> yeah, I would love to talk to, about that a little bit. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking uh, about that. Like our question, we need to adjust our questions maybe a little bit. Yeah, but. yeah. I will. Uh, I'll definitely be adjusting mine. But, uh, but Mike, what is your Hold favorite on, okay. scene in this epic of a movie? Well, you know, I was gonna say the opening battle scene. Like that, that, that scene is just like it. For lack of a better word, it's seminal, man. It is. Cha- it changed the world that I lived in from the moment I saw it. That was the first thing that you see, and it's it's incredible, and it's still incredible. Uh, but one thing I noticed this time around is so like it starts off like the movie starts off before the battle starts with Russell Crowe like staring at a bird, and then the bird flies away, right? Like well, like he's thinking about home, and then he sees the bird, and then like it cuts to real life, and he sees the bird, and the bird flies away. And that exact same shot is in Three Ten to Yuma. Um, that's the shot that like the same look that he has, like the first time we meet him in three ten to Yuma is when he's drawing the bird. Remember, and the bird flies away, and the bird flies away. He watches yeah. the bird fly. And it's like, like I saw. I was like, wait, I've seen that before. Like this has happened before. And it was three ten to Yuma, hmm. which was which was interesting. Weird. But I'm gonna say my favorite scene is actually that scene where they go to take him out and kill him in the snow because. And, like, I don't think it's the best scene in the movie either, like, the best thing in the movie. But my friends and I spent countless hours reenacting this scene. Like, the frost. Sometimes it makes the blade stick. Stick. Oh, that's so cool. And the way, like, the... The The sword. The sword through the guy that, like, sticks through him. Incredible. I love how you hear this from kind of, like... Lands in him. It's like he's there's this crazy assassin that's after you right now. It's it's an insane vibe. Like this guy's going to murder everybody around. It, it's so cool. Like, and you really see this guy isn't just a general. He's like he is the ultimate badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's truly. 
We yeah. would just like yell out at each other at random, like Putin! you know, because that's what he yells at at people. I don't know yeah. why, but this was the scene that we would we would try because it's like okay, say you're in this situation, how do you get out? Yeah. Well, obviously, the first thing that you do is ask for an honorable death. Like that's the first thing you got to do when you're in this situation. <laughs> then you can whack the dude in the stomach slash balls. And <laughs> kill everybody. Like this is this is clearly the solution. Also, don't yeah. get caught in the cold with your blade undrawn. You know, yeah. like taught us valuable lessons. Yeah. <laughs> don't that, with the frost around. I was curious yeah. if that's real. Is that a real like phenomenon that a blade can get stuck in the sheath? I, I'm gonna say yes. Um, and I'm gonna say as my source material, I have Gladiator the movie. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that it happens in Gladiator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a real thing. Uh, so that's, my favorite. Well, that's my favorite scene. I loved it. And I yeah. loved watching it again, too. It's been a while since I saw the movie. And so, like, seeing it again, it was it was so fresh and new and just brought back all of these memories with with my friends. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. What about you, what Jesse? What about you, Jesse? <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> Yeah, my my favorite scene then and now has has always been the "Are you not entertained?" scene. Uh, oh yeah. So this is back when they're in. I think is it Zanzibar? I don't know. I don't Something know. Like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like an ancient city. Yeah, they're in a kind of a small town, and there's this small little um, stadium that they have, which they actually built next to a small town. I think in, in Morocco uh, <laughs> oh, wow. to, to film all this stuff in. They they built this thing. Um, but there there are two fights there. The first fight, he's, um, you know, he, you, you weren't even sure that he was actually going to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns out that he, he fought and then everybody, been, all the, uh, all the people that were slaves were, were going to die. And then he didn't, um, he, he fought his way out. And then the next time you see him fighting, it's, He's going out again, and this time there are like three or four people against him, and it's just him. And they're all cheering for the Spaniard. Like the whole crowd is like, Spaniard, Spaniard. And he just goes out and he and he wreaks havoc on like one guy after another. And then after after chopping a guy's head off with two swords instead of one, he takes two swords to do it. Uh he they they're still cheering his name, and he tosses one into like uh you know, the VIP stand basically and knocks over the guy's cup and wine and spills everywhere and just says, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And then the crowd goes quiet for a little bit and they start cheering his name even louder, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's such an epic scene, but also it, it's always made me feel a little meta because like, I find that really entertaining and I'm in the crowd. And I have to admit, when he says, are you not entertained? I want to cheer louder for him as well. <laughs> so, like, I, it's it's a really weird moment where I always realize, like, I am just a person in this stadium right now. Mm. And I just saw somebody's head get cut off, like, pretty brutally, and I am cheering for it. I've never known what to feel about this, but I always feel something, and it makes me a little yeah. uncomfortable. Wow, you just got yeah, deep. Can- can, can we talk about that a little bit? I feel like we we keep sort of like skirting around that, but like this movie's this movie's saying a lot about like 
watching spectacles of violence for a movie that's very much a, a violent spectacle. Yeah. Right? Well, I so I, I'm just going to jump into my question for the movie thing. Yeah. My question is kind of okay. about this, and I was and I had to communicate this over text, and I wasn't trying to do it. But basically, the people, right? There's a huge thing about the people here. The people is represented by the Senate, and they're called the mob multiple times mm -hmm. like they're just a mob you just need to manipulate them and there are these people that will celebrate violence right like Commodus's whole plan is to like rile the people up because they love these games where people are killing each other and he knows they'll love him for it um so i i guess i want to uh, talk about like are, are these people like good <laughs> like i don't know what to think about it because on the one hand uh, like, it seems to be good that you'd want the Senate, right? Which is a representation of the people. Um, that is Marcus Aurelius's like, goal, right? To have the Senate, the people, in charge of Rome. But this Rome is a mob. Like, is that is that a goal worth having? Is that, like, is Marcus Aurelius right? Is it better to have a tyrant or is it better to have a Senate when there's a mob that's basically running everything? Tyrant all the way. That's me. <laughs> no. Maybe not. Tyrant. Let's say emperor, right? Like yeah, emperor, yeah. because t obviously tyrant. I chose a very bad word. Tyrant can, is always bad, but emperor is not always bad. Personally, I prefer dictator. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. That's, that's my personal preference. I, preferably, I'm the dictator. That's uh, a more politically <laughs> correct way of saying tyrant. <laughs> is it? No, it's not. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> learn so I learned something today, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to answer this question. Are the people of Rome worth saving? I, I feel like in the movie, it's like, it's sort of taking it up that they are. It's just like saying like, yes, we want the people of Rome to be, you know, ruled well. Rome should be ruled well. I guess it's sort of assuming that that, that like you should have good governance, maybe, but I, I don't know. I don't know if that's really your question. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, hey, should people be ruled well? Like, well, I guess, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> should they be ruling themselves? I think is the question, right? The Senate mm. is an extension of the people, so should the people be ruling themselves, or do they need the firm hand of the emperor, or maybe someone like Maximus to come in and say, no, no, this is not what you guys should be doing. I yeah. I, ever since you posted this question, are the people of Rome worth saving? I I've been like questioning my watching of the movie pretty deeply. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's a couple scenes that I think the movie is trying to like give us a hint at the answer to this. The one is the the scene that we've already mentioned where uh, Maximus he grants mercy to to his opponent against the command of the, the emperor and everybody cheers for it. Yeah. And, and like, yeah, we, we could just say, Oh, they're just being like, they're just enjoying um, a twist or the drama or whatever. Like, but we could also say that that's like the movie showing us that they do love like a, a real virtue in their, their hero. Like mm -hmm. they do love that he's merciful towards his opponent you know, after these two guys are trying to kill each other for a long time. And like, it, it's a, actually a big deal that he chooses to, 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 to let him live. Yeah. To spare him 
over the the will of you know Caesar, like that's a big deal, and it could have totally turned the mob against him. They could have been like, no, more blood, more blood. And if they were bloodthirsty, if that was their only imperative, they would have booed him. But they didn't. They cheered him. And they actually loved him more for it. I feel like that was the movie giving us a little hint into like, yes, they're all there for the bloodshed. But ultimately, they do have an appreciation for the virtue of mercy. Mm. Uh, another, Another piece of it, I think that the movie's trying to like hint at is the fact that Maximus has total confidence that if, if he escapes from prison and basically walks into the camps of his army, they will 100% follow him that they have a total loyalty towards him over their current generals or leaders because they, they know him like they trust him they know that he's a just man, that he has the, you know, the, the, the greatest good of Rome at heart, that he's a humble man, that he's a good general. All, all of these virtues that they show in those first, you know, the first 30 minutes of the movie, he has total confidence that if he walks into that army, they will accept him and follow him. There's okay. a certain level of like, well, if he has that confidence in his army, that means that there is a sense of what is just, what is right, what is Rome in the kind of idealistic take of Marcus Aurelius. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, those are like the two scenes in the movie where it shows that like, yes, the Roman people might be a mob. They might be unruly. They might be wanting bloodshed, but they still have redemptive Mm -hmm. characteristics. They still have, you know, an appreciation for those classic virtues of Roman philosophy and, mm-hmm. and, and all that. Um, I guess. Yeah. So you saying that also makes me realize maybe Marcus Aurelius's plan, like his plan wasn't to get rid of the emperor and just establish the Senate. His plan was to make Maximus the emperor and then abolish the, the emperor. Mm-hmm. Right. And establish the Senate. So Maximus is actually, like he's seen Maximus as this key figure that has to transition and get the people to the point where they can govern themselves. So I, I think the the part where uh, he he gives mercy to the guy that you were pointing out earlier. Before that, like uh, Commodus, he was telling Maximus to kill the gladiator because the entire crowd was chanting, "Kill him! Kill! Kill!" You know, mm-hmm. and he was giving in to the mob of Rome's like weakest impulses. Right. But Maximus with this act of mercy was able to raise these people up a, a degree to say, no, you actually want this. This is actually better. And they, and they agree with that. Um, and him going to his army, I think is also very similar to that. Like they, he's told like they are under like Roman control right now. But he knows if he walks in, he is the better option. They're going to follow him instead mm-hmm. of um, of whatever usurpers are, are are there. So, yeah, I, I like the idea of Maximus being the intermediary step between like the evil empire emperor and um, getting the people to actually rule themselves. But it seems like he might be able to do because he is a good enough person to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like in this movie too, it's like emphasized several times that Commodus is uh, 
tyrannical ruler who rules by fear primarily. And I mean, like we see him slaughter, you know, most of the senators uh, and imprison them and not listen to them and, and spend all funds on, on pleasing them up. I really like what you said about how like he's, uh, he's following, he follows the mob. Whereas uh, 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 Maximus like turns the mob into a political body or something like turns them into people. Yeah. Cool. I wonder though, like what if Commodus had, I I don't know if there's much value in talking about this. Like what if Commodus had, had said to let the guy live, like put his thumb up. Like would Maximus has have killed him? Then was he just going to do like whatever the opposite of what Commodus said? It's opposite day. I'm killing him. <laughs> whatever you say. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> I and then like if the crowd goes wild. Like I mean, like uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's weird because like it's what Jesse said that he was following what what the mob did want. Yeah, but then Maximus did what the mob secretly wanted. It's almost like, like, like Matt or Commodus can't see past the shallow desires of the mob, and Maximus saw like their deeper desires. Yeah, I, yeah. I, th- I think is like the, and maybe I don't know. I, I don't like putting too lofty of a interpretation on movies. Like I don't like thinking that that was like the 40 chess that was going on in the writer's mind. But I do think that this is like, if we want to think of the mob or the the people of Rome as worth saving and that to explain Maximus's love of Rome, I feel like you do have to show some sort of redemption or like redemptive characteristics in the people of Rome. And, and, and those Mm -hmm. were the scenes that stuck out to me as like, yeah, there, there is still good in them. It just has to be like granted an outlet or given yeah. an opportunity. There has to be some opportunity for for all this violence to, to kind of have, have meant something. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, going back to what, why I jumped into this question probably earlier than I wanted to. Like the, with the are you entertained scene, right? And me feeling like one of the crowd, like I... I feel like the movie itself is kind of doing what Maximus is doing, where he's, you know, we're seeing this incredible, frankly, I've seen more violent things in this ever since seeing this movie, but these are like really violent scenes and they, they are very entertaining. Uh, but because of the, of the dialogue in this movie, like marrying that with it, with its story and, and its meaning, you realize that all of this is kind of has a more elevated nature. Mm-hmm. So it's not just mindless bloodlust that you're going for. You're, you're going for, for something higher. It's amazing. Like this movie does really marry like all of the best, like violent genre, for lack of a better word, tropes. It's like, it's a yeah. vengeance flick. And it's also like a sacrifice flick. And it's also like a, a saving Rome flick. Like it's got it all. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the under underdog story. It's so yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's yeah. good. I I don't know. I mean, I I don't know if it really. It says a lot about violence, right? And it's like all of these people, like oh, you know, like what is the what is the heart of the mob? 
Um, and Derek Jacoby says this, and I feel like Derek Jacoby, he's Gracchus, I think. Um, mm-hmm. He's supposed to kind of be like the wisest and whatever of the senators. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think so, like the guy who gets it. He's like, I never claim to be one of the people, but I do claim to be for the people. He's the most mm-hmm. virtuous of the senators. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you know, he says like, Commodus is a wise man because he knows that the heart of Rome, it's not a mob. It's not like the Senate. It's the, uh, it's the dust of the arena, you know, the blood and dust of the arena. That's the beating heart of Rome. Um, I mean, like I, it's hard to watch this without like thinking about, you know, another big sort of Republican democracy, that we all know and love very well, America, right? And like, mm-hmm. this is this is two thousand, like the year that we entered into the new millennium, and we're like thinking about um, America. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, it it seems like here's this movie with with all of this spectacle of blood and gore and stuff, and it's kind of like the movie itself. I, I'm just wondering if the movie knows that it's making these statements about about itself or something like that. I, I don't know. He has I think a so. sense of where I'm going with this. Are, are you saying that you're wondering if it has like analogous implications to America? Well, okay. No. Um, I mean, sort of like, like this movie. I, I remember when I saw this movie, a really big question that was around for my parents was like, Oh, you know, like, is violence okay in movies? And I don't know if that conversation has ended um, with people, right? Like mm-hmm. in general, just like people. Uh, how much violence is it okay to see or like what should or could be shown um, and to whom? And I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. prudence involved in that. Like you got to kind of pick and choose who it is that that is seeing stuff. But I feel like around the time that this movie came out, like this was a really big conversation about like violence in cinema. And we've got the, we've got gladiator and the Patriot, which were two of like the most violent movies to come out uh, until then um, coming out in the same year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's, but like big budget, violent movies, right? Okay. Like big right. budget, big violence. Right. That, that was something new actually was like, a mainstream blockbuster that also has graphic violence. Like several decapitations, you know? And it, and it doesn't cut mm-hmm. away from them. It doesn't yeah. imply them. It just mm-hmm. shows them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a question. I feel like it's a question that could take us another hour to, to analyze. Yeah. Like yeah. Going back to like, you know, Greek tragedies where, you know, violence was, Right. They never showed it. Right. Like during uh, Oedipus Rex, I know we've mentioned the tragedy a few times during the actual scenes of violence where he gouges his own eyes out. That was considered like you don't show that on the theater. He does that behind the scenes off screen. And um, what was the name for it? It was um, okay. The the, the Greek word. Oh, obscure. or obscene, obscene. Obscene, okay. So the the word obscene comes from obscena, which means away from the scene. And it, it came from this idea that an, an act of violence happens away from the theater. That like hmm. you, you know, Oedipus Rex walks back onto the theater with his eyes already gouged out. 
And he talks about the fact that he just gouged his own eyes out, but you don't show it. You would never actually show something like that. That's away from the scene, obscena, which is you know, obscene. And so we get this idea that obscene things are not supposed to be shown to people, that you just imply them, you describe them, you do whatever you can, but you don't show them to the people. And, and I always think of that when it comes to violence in movies of like, how much is too much? Like if we're, if we're show, you know, if we're uh, portraying something graphic or very adult or very gross, how much of that should we actually see and how much should we actually imply, right? Like some movies mm. decide to show a beheading by just showing a shadow of it, right? Mm -hmm. We see the, the shadow of the protagonist beheading somebody and then it goes back to the scene and it's already happened. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah. or we, you know, we, we see the, the splatter of the blood on the wall or we see, you know, we don't see the actual graphic detail. We just see the aftermath of it. And this movie very much was like, no, we're just showing everything. We're showing him decapitate the guy we're showing him stab the guy in the foot. We're showing, you know, him stab the tiger in the neck. We're showing everything just as it happened. Um, and it, it is a question that I've always had of like, is this a good thing that cinema is being like realistic? Well, and, you know, it, it culminates in like the violence that we see in the modern shows like, you know, Walking Dead or Game of Thrones where it's just like, the the most graphic thing you can you know you can imagine is shown right there for everybody to see yeah. like is that a good thing or is that a bad thing for everybody to see i well i think the answer in in this particular movie is it it, it ends with the fight between maximus and commodus right and eventually they both drop their swords for whatever reason and commodus takes out a knife and uh it starts becoming instead of a, a grand swordplay and a knife fight, and then you you see him stab Commodus with that with that knife, but you don't even really see it. It's really That's weird. Right. Like this whole yeah. this whole movie is like really bloody, and then for the final most climactic fight, you don't see that he stabs him in the neck, and then you you do see him pressing in, but that's all you see, and then he's dead, mm -hmm. and then the crowd for the first time in the movie is silent they don't like it that death has impacted them the most and i have to say like i think that's also commentary on, on us as watching watching this sort of violence um like sometimes when you see when the death is hidden because of um the characters and what they've brought to that fight um depending on who dies like that is what has the most weight and it's not necessarily the biggest flashiest sword fight like, mm -hmm. because we didn't know the gladiator who got his head chopped off, that didn't really mean much for us. That was entertaining. This is no longer really entertaining. This is almost, like, shocking, because, like, both of our main characters are going to die right now, and we know yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think this movie has a really concrete answer other than say that that sort of violence is maybe even more impactful than seeing it all drawn out. That's interesting. Um, like with this being sort of the beginning of a, a certain type of movie coming after it, 
it, it's it's very interesting that it has so much to say about violence as a spectacle um, and how that's not necessarily positive. But yet at the same time, like I, I'm, I guess I'm thinking about, you know, I, as you're saying, like Maximus sort of bringing us through that to a... Um, to an end of that violence, maybe uh, a conclusion of all the bloodshed of like be better and and do something more. I don't know. I don't know. I I don't. I, yeah, I don't know if I can make something. It's something that I've wondered about forever uh, since mm-hmm. I've seen this. I love the movie, but I also feel yeah. like isn't it a little weird for this movie to have like some of the coolest battles that I still have seen. And also, like, the whole movie is like, yeah, this whole, like, gladiator thing's pretty f***ed up. Like, this is not (laughs) positive. But it's also kind of cool at the same time. Like, look at the relationship these people are building. And, like, you know, like, you don't, we can't choose when we die. Like, this idea of fate that sort of imbues the gladiator spirit. Like, we don't choose when we die. But we can choose how we can choose to die as like as mice or as men. I, I don't remember the exact line. And like, oh, that's stirring. I love that. I love that shit, man. Like that's I'm here for that. Mm-hmm. It's it's just weird. It's weird. And maybe that's just yeah. you know good writing. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. I remember uh, some talk I was listening to, and it, it was describing kind of the the phenomenon that started in the '60s where we'd have people walking down the street listening to like rock music and how rock music played publicly was, you know, considered like really faux pas and you were being really revolutionary. And he said that rock music in public was a safe danger is the phrase he used Mm. that Mm. like people love safe dangers where you are doing something that's scary or shocking, but there's no actual danger to it. And so I I think of that a lot with like movies that we all know that it's just, you know, at the end of the day, it's just ketchup on the person's neck or it's just, it's fake. These are not real people dying. And it was a conversation that I had with my parents a lot where like they would say, Oh, you you know, we don't want you to go see gladiator because there is X amount of violence in it. And I would be like, well, it's, it's fake. Like we all know it's fake. It's all happening, you know, in a, in a controlled environment, nobody's actually being hurt by it. And that if I saw the same violence happen in real life, it would totally change how I reacted to it. Like if I, if I was on the sidewalk today and watched somebody get their head chopped off with two swords, it would scare the shit out of me completely. Like, and, and it doesn't matter how many times I watch that in movies. If I saw it in real life, it would affect me differently. Mm-hmm. So there, there is something to be said about how it happens in a fake environment versus a real environment. Yeah. So I, it is something that I struggle with uh, personally about like what's acceptable, what is, when it comes to violence, what is an acceptable level or is there like, does that acceptable level correspond with the amount of value that the movie has? Like does the value that the the gladiator has with all of its awesome dialogue and, you know, the speeches that people give and the, 
the cinematography and the choreography and all the things we've been talking about, does that in some way offset the fact that there's these awesome scenes of violence that I love to watch. <laughs> and I feel like one of the, one of the audience members clapping to, to, to these, you know, yeah. massive amounts of violence. I don't know. It's a question that I definitely yeah. struggle with, but yeah. Yeah. It's a conglomeration of all of the coolest things, <laughs> but I don't know if it's making statements other than like, you know, if you're a general of the Northern armies of the Felix Legion and you become a gladiator, you should also do what Marcus Aurelius tells you and die for Rome. I, <laughs> I think it's more than that. I think it's I know, supposed to. Yeah. Okay. So Dan, you've got the last question here. I I'm, I'm uh, foregoing my question uh, in lieu of the violence question. I think that that was great. We skirt around violence a lot and talk about it a lot. And I think that we'll continue to, um, we like violence. What can I say? It's really fun when people die. Um, I'm kidding. That's not true. Uh, <laughs> but we like the, we like gladiator. I don't know. Dan, ask a question. Yeah. I, so I, because I grew up with all these, like, like I mentioned, Ben-Hur and Spartacus, I grew up with these movies about, you know, Roman men fighting and, uh, fighting to the death and, you know, these, these great dramas, I wanted to ask the question of like, is this the greatest sword and sandals movie that has ever been made? Like, is that, can we see this as a, like, as a pinnacle of that subgenre, or is this something different? Is it doing something so different that we shouldn't, we shouldn't put it into that category of sword and sandals movies I don't know. I, I, I love these movies. I love, um, it's one of the reasons hail Caesar is like one of my favorite comedies is because it makes fun <laughs> of all of this, like the, the Jesus, oh, yeah. uh, stories or these Jesus movies that take place during this time. And it like, it makes fun of the melodrama that takes place in them and the, the elevated language that we always expect in them. So yeah, I wanted to pose this question to you guys. Like, can we see this movie as a, as like the best one of that genre or is this something different? Is it, does it fall into a different genre and we shouldn't treat it as part of that kind of that old cinema sword and sandals genre? Oh, this is definitely, I mean, like there's definitely callbacks to like Gladiator and Spartacus in this and, and other stuff like, I mean, with the with the chariots having the spikes on them and, mm. and all that stuff. I mean, those are also things that happen, but I, I think that it's definitely... So I'm looking at a list of the top 10 Swords and Sandals movies of the 21st century. According to IMDb, Gladiator is number one. Number two is Bahubali the Beginning. Um, and I have to say, <laughs> Bahubali the Beginning is pretty damn good. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this movie. What? You've never heard of the Hoobly? There are two movies. They're each three hours long. They're Indian epics. They're incredible. These I've movies been, are are incredible. I've been hearing off and on about the Hoobly for years. Simply because oh, of the pod. Dude, who was on? Who was on the pod? 
He that's came on right. at one he point. Has, what did he that's come right. On? For, for your birthday episode. Yeah, he was on the zombie episode. That's right. Judy's been telling me for years, for like the past 10 years, to watch Bahubali and Bahubali 2. So Jude, Jude comes to our house like, I don't know, once every like once every year and makes us a big dinner. And after the kids go to bed, we watch the next installment of the Bahubali epic. I think they're they're currently in development for number three. Uh, I, I could be wrong about that. I hope they're in development for number three because these movies are incredible. This this sounds like a made up word. Like you guys are pranking me. It, it is an Indian. It's Indian, movie, right? It's yeah. Indian. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Uh. So I mean, I think it's between Gladiator and Bahubali, personally, but. <laughs> I am so mad that I've never seen these. I am. Oh man, you got to go watch these. Yeah. Uh, what is number three? If it's three hundred, three hundred. This is all twenty-first oh. century movies. So oh, three hundred comes next. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like that. Should, like, I feel like that's weird to classify that as one of these movies. I I feel like it's a lot more of a almost superhero movie or like comic book movie for sure. I mean, it is a comic book movie. Yeah. Although it, it does happen to take place, you know, and it does have swords and it does have sandals. So, and abs, lots of abs. And so (laughs) way too many abs in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, like hearing you mention like all the, all the swords and sandals movies, it, it does seem like it's the best. Like, if you ask me which one of these movies I want to watch right now, it's it's always going to be Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think... I do for, love for Spartacus, yeah. but Spartacus is too long. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, you know, it's not as much of a spectacle either. Like, Gladiator does have the spectacle aspect to, to it. Uh, and it, it's a nice movie that you want to see on the big screen. Like, it, it's a lot of fun. And it has so much meaning. Yeah, I, I would always go for Gladiator. I, I definitely feel like for me, it's like Gladiator and Ben-Hur and Spartacus are the three that I'd be interested in seeing mm-hmm. pretty much at any time. And the rest sort of fall away from there. Like a lot of those stuff from the 50s or whatever. They call them peplum dramas. I think that that's like Toga. I don't know. Okay. Um, mm. But But I mean, yeah. I, I this makes me wonder. Like, I always have a question with these. Like, okay, so Gladiator is the best now, and is it because it took sort of this formula from fifty years before, thirty years before, whatever, and brought new like ways of of movie making and acting and cinematography and all of that stuff forward to now? And so, fifty years from now, is Gladiator going to be as forgotten as? I don't know, uh, Hannibal from 19, what is this? 1959, uh, or Gladiator is from 1940 or something like that. Like, is it going to be like that? Last days of Pompeii from 1935. No, I think I'm sure sure there's people who know these, but I I think 300 will, I think that'll definitely Mm -hmm. fade. It, It already has faded pretty considerably. At least from from what I know, like when it used to be such a huge deal just ten years ago, right? Uh, yeah. Well, more than ten years ago, but even ten years ago, it was like on in the public consciousness. Um, yeah. But like, yeah, Gladiator's twenty two years old at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think it's 
I think it's here to stay. It's here to stay for a long time. Uh, like you have Ben Hur and Spartacus; those are forty and fifty years old, and they're they're sticking around. Um, yeah, yeah. But you've also seen a bunch of uh, like you know, like Exodus gods and kings. That was supposed to be a huge deal, and in, in a lot of ways, like a, a back to basics, like sword and sandals movie. And nobody cares about that movie anymore. <laughs> like as soon as it came out, it was immediate. Like it's really hard. Directors have always like found a in modern times have found a really hard time trying to establish like a new sword and sandals feel for a movie and what that should look like, and it keeps failing. Um. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the fact that the Gladiator does work with with uh, not even modern movie making standards uh but 22 year old your uh modern uh 22 year old movie standards like it it still it's works 22 years old that's that shouldn't be allowed that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it it's it's over two decades and it's it's uh, still sticking with us it's still yeah. here to stay i think it's going to be around for a long time it yeah i I, I, th- yeah. I hope so i think so yeah the story yeah. is too good. It's too classic, and it moves too well to, to fade. Yeah, I, I I agree with everything you guys are saying. I think that, um, especially on a on this recent reviewing of it, it made me appreciate the movie all the more. I was worried that it was going to feel dated, or that it was mm-hmm. like the action sequences weren't going to stand up. I was I, I was really worried rewatching it that it wouldn't stand the test of time. And it did for me. I thought that it was amazing. I thought that everything stood up. I thought the the dialogue was intriguing. Yeah, it's really profound, but that's what we expect going into a movie like this. Like we don't want Romans to be talking like they're in the 22nd. Yeah. 20, uh, 21st century. Like we want them to sound like they are, you know, speaking, in ancient Roman times and everything they say has to be profound because, you know, when things are in Latin, they sound profound. So therefore everything they said must sound profound. Um, I, I loved it. I thought that it did everything that I remembered in, you know, the old sword and sandals movies. I thought it just did them better. I thought it did them in an up-to-date way that didn't feel, you know, pandering. It didn't feel, uh cheesy it just felt very refreshing and impactful and like really beautiful i i was glad you know the fact that it won the oscars i think says volumes about what you know what the oscars what the academy awards are looking for and um yeah i i i definitely came away with it came away from it with a greater appreciation for this genre of movie. And um, I also love 300. So Jesse, we'll have to talk about that <laughs> later. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have to do that at a later episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe. I may also be looking into Bahubali. Yes, I, that's going to be a later, a later series. Maybe that'll be a birthday episode. We'll do the Bahubalis. Yeah. 
Dude, I'm just looking at the pictures from this thing. It it looks phenomenal. All right, movie it's, night, Dan. Yeah. Movie night. Yes, movie night. <laughs> I'm gonna boo- <laughs> We're just gonna do a yeah. a Bahubali marathon. You gotta um, get Jude to come out because I don't think that you're allowed to watch it without Jude. Because I think that's the law. Lots of Yeah. All right. So um, we talked about we talked a lot about this movie. We talked a lot yeah. about who made it, and then. We'll, what on earth is in here and what it's trying to say and also about its legacy that is leaving behind. But the biggest legacy that we have yet to discuss is the dad movie legacy. Oh, is yeah. this a dad movie? And, and clearly why is it a dad movie? Cause I think we're all going to say it's a dad movie. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, yeah, dude, it's totally, a, this is the daddest movie that ever dadded. <laughs> <laughs> This movie birthed other movies. It it is the daddest of all movies. This movie birthed me single handedly, right? As a teenager, as a as a teenager, <laughs> like my mind, you know, or something. I don't know. Right. This is like a coming of age. I, this made me into a man, and as a man, I could make other people as a dad. And yeah, this movie, this movie. I feel like was was so was everything that I wanted to be as an like as a teenager. Everything I wanted to experience in movies as a teenager was encapsulated in this movie, and it's still incredible. I, I can't wait. I, I can honestly oh, say yeah. I cannot wait to show this to my kids. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. Like, yeah. I think about like what the big movies that my kids are going to be going to, and it's going to be a lot of like Marvel movies. And those are all movies with like great entertainment and not a lot of substance, not a lot to think or really talk about, in my opinion. Uh, but this How movie has that. I, I know, right? I know. So many people are like, that's all. They- <laughs> a lot of people talk about those a lot, Jesse. <laughs> they talk about like, I, I feel like a lot of those are about like I the know, consistencies man. within the universe and not about like the ideas presented. And this movie's presenting yeah. so much. I'm not even sure if it answers a lot of what it has, but it's here to talk about that. And it's here to just, you know, it's it's a guy that just wants, you know, he wants to get back to his wife and son, and he and he can't quite yet because there's something for him to do, but not yet. Um, but not yet. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, I feel such like a, it's sad. Oh yeah. Well, it, watching it also, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it does watching a movie like this is always a breath of fresh air because it is chock full of just sincerity. This is a person mm-hmm. who like like this movie is not in I like it's so what you do like it's got lines like what you do in this life echoes in eternity and and mm-hmm. like uh you know all we are is shadows and dust. Shadows and dust, Maximus. Like, I don't know, these warring ideas about how to live your life and uh, what it means to be a man. Like, mm-hmm. gosh, it's so it's it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. And I don't really feel like there's much that I enjoy that's like, like I, I'm going to say that that both I enjoy and is also clear about what its intentions and beliefs about the world are. Um, and it's mm-hmm. wonderful to encounter that. Uh, and to come back to it after all these years and yeah. be like, no, it's it's still here. This is yeah, still yeah. true. I will say yeah. the closest to this movie that I've seen has been very recently, The Northman. 
was very yeah. much like that. It was very clear about what it is and what its approach to the world is. Mm. Yeah. The difference being, like, in this movie, I really like Maximus. Like, <sighs> Maximus is a guy you could just unquestionably get, get behind. Whereas in The Northman, which has mostly the same story in a lot of ways, <laughs> um, he's like, he's a murderer <laughs> and a rapist and a slave trader. And it's much harder to get behind that. Mm. But this guy, like, like I know he's got a lot of issues. Like, um, like he's led this whole war or whatever. But like the the way it's led, traded slaves because they took slaves when they conquered right. people. So they it's did, the but it was it's just the Northman. <laughs> it's whitewashed a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I I think I, I'm, I'm watching. I'm kidding. I'm right, not, but, it's, like, but it's portrayed in here. Yeah, the yeah. way the movie is set up is so that you can get behind Maximus, whereas the Northman is set up where you should not really get behind him all the way. Yeah, I, I will say, like watching it as a dad, when he goes to his farm and sees his wife and child killed and hung and burned and all that, it was like. It hit me differently, obviously, because now I have a wife mm-hmm. and kids. Last time I watched this, I didn't. And I remember watching it as a teenager. I was just like, oh, he must be pissed. And watching it as a dad, I was like, he would be completely. He would be like almost like losing his life like that. Yeah. He, he literally lost everything yeah. that mattered to him in his life. And. um. And that is like so much more impactful. I feel like when you, when you know what it is to have a family and um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just, yeah. I, I guess that's just a reason that like, I want this movie to be a part of not just my life, but like my kid's life, my kids as teenagers life, my kids as adults and, you know, future parents life. Like I, this is a movie that is not just a dad movie. It's a grandfather movie. It's a, it's an everything movie. It's like a movie that I, I think will be in my family for forever. Yeah. It'll e- yeah. echo in eternity. It's a for my family. Oh, I love it. Ooh. You know, I think that this is also like a mom movie, like, or, or, I mean, my mom loves it. My wife loves it. Every my mom loves it. My yeah. wife loves it. Yeah. Every, <laughs> every woman I know loves it. Maybe it's just like, this is a, an epic human movie that everybody loves. <laughs> that's um, it. And that's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah. Which means, but, but it's like, it's not like too good to be like classified as a mom movie or a dad movie too. Cause it's like, no, I'm here for all of the people of Rome. <laughs> yeah. We are the people of Rome. <laughs> all the people of Rome. Well, the real people. Yeah. No, go ahead. Real people of Rome. No. Meisters, cutting boards. All right, guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Uh, I think I think we've touched on everything we can for this movie, um, or not everything. But did you think about how here. you rode two horses from Germany to Spain, like south of Spain? I think in like two days. That's <laughs> wild. He's he has got a great horse. He's got two great horses. <laughs> that never hit me. I was like, that's a long way. I don't know if I've ever seen that that epic of a journey. You know, I, it did make. Although me I don't range. really know how far it is. Yeah, it made yeah. me want to look at an ancient map of <laughs> Germania, Gallia, Hispania, like see where yeah. how close these things yeah. were, 
Um, I mean, it at most it was probably like ten days of I, riding. I Germania is. Uh, I think this is more. You know what do I know? I think it's more Western Europe, but I don't know anything. Uh, I don't know anything about geography. <laughs> I'm basing that off of the fact that you can bike ride from the furthest east of Spain to the furthest west of Spain in like two weeks. If you can bike that, then like I'm taking that that measurement and saying, yeah, you could probably go from like southern Spain or southern. Um, Germany to like, northern Spain in like two weeks of horseback riding. All right. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. That we are we are getting way too particular about about part of the journey. Really but yes, this is a dad movie. Absolutely a dad movie. Next week we're we're going to be hitting you <laughs> off with with next up in the chronology, which is Robin Hood, yeah. uh, also Ridley Scott, and also Russell Crowe. Yeah. Um, never spent. Really excited for that, Mike. I don't. I don't think Mike will be with us, but you I know, think I'll we'll be, be around. Too. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think this is the first movie that I'm the only one that's seen it. Wow, I'm very mm-hmm. nervous to be honest. I yeah, I'm really worried that I remember loving this movie like whenever ten years ago when I saw it, um, like really loving it. And yeah, I hope I still love it. I hope it's a good one to do on the I, podcast. I hope it is too. But uh, until next time, I'm Jesse. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Not Your Father's Movies. Please let us know what you think about movies and our discussions on our Twitter at NYF Movies on our Not Your Father's Movies Facebook group. Follow us on Instagram or email us at notyourfathersmovies at gmail.com. Also, please consider supporting us on Patreon. This podcast has cost us a lot of time, effort, and money. Please consider contributing, and we will start sending you monthly newsletters, our bonus WhatsApp episodes, and even an NYFM mug. We hope to hear from you soon. Lastly, thank you to Max Augers for our awesome theme playing right now, and to Andy LaFave from Don't Dance for the remix that you hear at the beginning of every episode. Thanks again for listening to Not Your Father's Movies.